In the name of Jesus, Amen. Dear saints of God, our Lord Jesus Christ pulls no punches in His sermon. The Gospel reading, which is from the Sermon on the Mount, and in these verses that we have, our Lord Jesus takes up the topic of righteousness, and He does not hold back. Listen, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. These words should hit us like a pile of bricks, like a bucket of cold water. Our reaction should be, when we hear these words, our reaction should be, what? We have to be more righteous than the Pharisees and the scribes? How is that even possible? And I am sure, dear saints, that this is exactly what the people hearing Jesus preach this sermon must have thought. For the scribes and the Pharisees, remember, were in the business of righteousness. Everything that they did. Their clothes, their food, their walking down the street, everything that they said, everything, everything that was in their life was performed so that they could achieve an outward, discernible righteousness. The Ten Commandments were not enough for the Pharisees. They had to make their own lists, hundreds and hundreds of laws, to make sure that God's law was kept. The people would have seen the Pharisees as the righteous ones, the ones who kept the law more than anyone else, the, one, the ones who strived with every ounce of their being to be considered righteous. And now Jesus comes along and says you have to be even more righteous than them? Your righteousness has to exceed that kind of righteousness? How is this even possible? And if that's how the common people would have heard this sermon of Jesus, imagine then how the Pharisees would have heard it. For, for Jesus, after all, had just told the scribes and the Pharisees that they were going to hell. Right? For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. These scribes and these Pharisees thought that they were good enough thought that they had lived up to the standard that God had set, maybe even exceeded it a little bit. And Jesus comes along and with one thunderous blow tears down all of their self-confidence, all of their self-pride, and all of their hope in their own works. And this is exactly what Jesus intends. For our dear Lord Jesus is here preaching the law in its full sternness. If you think you've kept the fifth commandment, and you've never murdered anyone. Jesus wants to know if you've been angry. If you've called your brother a fool. If you have, then you're a murderer. If you think you've kept the Sixth Commandment. This is how the Lord's sermon uh, continues in the next few verses that come after our Gospel. If you think you've kept the Sixth Commandment and you've never committed adultery and that you've been You've been faithful to your spouse. Jesus wants to know if you've ever had a lustful thought about another person. And if you have, then you're an adulterer. 
It's not just the outward act that's demanded or forbidden by the commandments, but also the thoughts of our heart. In fact, our entire heart, our entire soul, our entire mind, and our entire strength, all of this is demanded from us by the law. And the theme runs through all of the commandments, not just the fifth, not just the sixth, all of them. Whenever we think that a commandment is a description of our goodness, then we're wrong. Dead wrong. The commandments of God demand of us everything. And if we have not met that demand, and none of us have, if we have not met that demand, then we stand before God as guilty, condemned. By these plain words of our Lord Jesus, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This Dear friends, is a frightful sermon from Jesus. This sermon on righteousness. For no matter how you hear it, it destroys you. But, and this is to be noted carefully, there are two different ways to hear this sermon that Jesus preaches on righteousness. There are two different ways to receive His command to have this righteousness and this perfection. And we have to note the difference. The first reaction to, to this sermon of Jesus, when He says your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees' righteousness, the first reaction is to think to yourself, right, I better get after it. I have a lot of work to do if I'm going to be that righteous. And so begins a torturous process of self-purification. That, dear friends, was the path that, that our friend Luther was on. And it just so happens that Luther was struggling with this same word, righteousness. I've told you this story of Luther before, but you, I'm sure, didn't expect me to come back from Germany without a little few more details for this story. Luther was... I'll try to be quick with this story, by the way. A bee is in the microphone. I'll switch here. I'll try to be quick with this story because we, have, we don't want to be distracted from the point of our Lord Jesus. But here it is with Luther. He was 22 years old when he was walking from Mansfield to Erfurt, returning to school, and was almost struck by lightning. He made a vow to enter the monastery, and he kept it. A couple of weeks after this, he sold all of his things, and he joined the Augustinian cloister in Erfurt. Two years later, he's ordained as a priest, and five years after that, Luther is promoted as a doctor of theology and sent to Wittenberg to teach the scriptures at the new university that's there in the middle of town, a university founded by Frederick the Wise. Wittenberg, and, and next time I go to Wittenberg, you all are required to come with me. Wittenberg is a small and beautiful little town on the banks of the River Elbe, and it has two streets that run, for, uh, they start at the castle church down uh, the valley a little bit, and they separate a little, and they run up the river like this. 
down, the castle church is down at the bottom. St. Mary's church is right in the middle. And if you walk up the church from St. Mary's, you pass the University of Wittenberg, and then a, a, maybe another quarter of a mile up the street, you come to the Augustinian cloister where Luther would have lived as a monk. That's a museum now. But we walked through it, and we saw in this, and this is where Luther would have been studying the scriptures, uh, preparing to teach his lectures. And we saw the room, or at least the wall to the room, where Luther was studying the, the, the words of God, and especially the epistle to Romans. And he began to understand what this meant, this word righteousness. Now, Luther took this word very, very seriously, and the demands of the scriptures very seriously. But to him, it didn't make sense. For the Lord demanded so much in the law, and then he comes along in the gospel and demands even more. And how can we understand that when the gospel itself is supposed to mean good news? Think of the problem this way. You're at the bottom of a huge hill. And to live, to reach eternal life, you have to climb up to the top of it. And it's like a race, and there's a judge. But before you start, the judge comes to you and gives you a backpack, and he loads you down with weights, 50-pound weights, 10 of them, into your backpack. The first commandment, the second commandment, all 10 commandments. So now you have this huge pack with all of this weight, and and you've got to climb to the top of the mountain to live. But before you start, the judge comes along, and he says... I've got some good news. Before you start, I've got something for you. And the judge then proceeds to take another weight, a thousand pound weight, and strap that to your back. And as you're sitting there being crushed to the ground, not even able to stand up, you think to yourself, this is the worst good news that I've ever heard. This gospel, this extra weight, this burden. That's what Luther thought of the word righteousness. In fact, it's what the whole church of his time thought of the word righteous. And he says as much. Shortly before his death, 1546, Luther writes a reflection on his discovery of the gospel, or better, the gospel's discovery of him. And he says something like this. I hated that word, the righteousness of God. And I hated the God who demanded that righteousness. That, dear friends, is the first way to listen to this sermon of Jesus. It is the first reaction to it and the result. It is to hear this word righteousness and think, I better get after it. I better get to it. I better start striving and working to achieve this righteousness. And if this is what it is, pure demand, then the only result is pride and despair. But there is another way to hear these words of our Lord Jesus. There is a right way to hear them, the way that he intended them to be heard. But perhaps it's not what you think. For we, when we hear these words, are tempted to think, yeah, it's true that these words mean something, but Luther, when he heard them, he went too far. He took them too seriously. He read the words of Jesus too literally. But that is not the right answer. The problem with Luther, 
was not that he treated the words of Jesus too seriously. It's not that he treated them too literally, but that he treated them not seriously enough, not literally enough. For if you hear this word of Jesus, if you hear this demand, this call to perfect righteousness, and you think, I can do it, then you have not heard what Jesus said. You have not heard what's being demanded. For you cannot, in any way, or in any shape, or in any form, you cannot, and I cannot, achieve this righteousness. It is too far above us. It is too perfect. It is too holy. It is too righteous. So this word of Jesus, this word righteousness, is there from our Lord to show us our failure, to show us our sin, to show us our inability to please him. It is to bring us to despair of ourselves so that we give up on all of our works. We give up on all of our efforts. We give up on all of our attempts to stand before God on our own two feet. We give up and look for another. This is the right way to hear this sermon from Jesus. It's, what's he, it's what he's saying to the Pharisees and to the people gathered to hear him on the mountain. This is the right way to understand his words. But I will grant to you that it is the hard way. For where does it leave us? If there is nothing that we can do, no effort that we can scrape together, what is there? If Jesus demands righteousness in order that we enter into his kingdom, but I cannot get a hold of that righteousness, then where does that leave me? Here's where Luther, in that Augustinian monastery, some 500 or so years ago, as he's pressing that word righteousness, discovers it. He's reading Romans 1.16, and he sees that the righteousness of God that the gospel brings is had not by works, not by efforts, not by doing, but rather by faith. Luther found to his great delight and to our great delight as well that the righteousness of God is not something that we earn, but rather it's a gift. It's given to us. So great was Luther's joy that he felt, he said he felt as if he had been born again and he raced through the scriptures with ecstatic peace. And now he says, quote, I loved that word, the righteousness of God, with the same zeal with which I had hated it. For the righteousness of God, his perfection, his holiness, his purity, his, his, uh, his holiness is a gift, a free gift from God our Father through the work of his Son Jesus. It's not the result of our efforts, but the result of the efforts of our dear Lord Jesus For just as righteousness is the theme of the sermon that Jesus preaches on the mountain, so it is the theme of his life, of his cross, of his blood, of his suffering, of his death and his resurrection. Righteousness is what Jesus is winning for us, and it is what he brings to us in the promise of the forgiveness of all of our sins. 
So listen, dear saints. When you walk in here and stand before God with all of your sin and all of your guilt and all of your failures and all of your shame, when you come in here and stand before His face with all of your uncleanness and you hear these words, I forgive you all of your sins, then you are righteous. You are given from God Himself a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. You are given the very righteousness of God. And when you hear these words, the kingdom of heaven is yours. May this be your comfort and your peace now and forever. Amen. And may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.